You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hello, how are you? It's episode 34 of Grow Yourself Up. Thank you so much for being here with me. I love hearing um, your feedback and um, thank you for listening. Anyone who listens is growing this community and therefore helping other people who may need to hear some of this information to find the podcast. So please, if you have a moment, will you rate or review it on whichever podcast platform you listen on? Because that helps it, I think, kind of like go up the algorithm or whatever in some of those podcast app places. So... As you know, I am passionate about sharing more about the emotional journey of parenting for us as parents so that we can find more um, joy on the journey because often there's so much focus on what do we need to do for our children and indeed that is extremely important, but there's not enough focus on our actual emotional experience and I think that is what makes parenting so hard is the huge amount of pain and challenge we often find or experience in parenting and kind of often don't know what to do with that and really going into that pain and going through um, all of our own dysfunction or kind of going through the backpack of rocks that we carry is what leads us to have more joy. So that's really what um, we're busy with here. And also this idea of growing ourselves up. And so this is going to be a theme episode around getting more comfortable with uncertainty and not needing to control things so much. Because when we have a childhood where we didn't get our own needs met, controlling things around us is often one of the ways we try and make ourselves safe. And as a tool in parenting, it's quite disastrous because trying to exert control of our children inevitably means we're using shame. And I'm sure you've witnessed yourself doing that. I certainly have witnessed myself doing that. And also shame is widely used as a control tool um, in society. So to control us generally, and also in schools, it's often used. So it's it's something that might really just easily roll off your tongue as a way to control your children so that you can try and feel safer. And also we try and control ourselves and arguably trying to sort of manage ourselves is more useful. But just generally control of other people is not helpful. And, and part of growing ourselves up is 
letting go of control, really realizing what is in our sphere of control, which is literally like my body and, and me around, like the bit of space around me, and welcoming an, in uncertainty. Collectively as a society, we kind of always make decisions to invest in children, but really investing in parents, I think, is what's really most important. I used to, many years ago, I took a break from working in financial services in London, and um, I had a maternity underwear business. Yeah, I know it was very bizarre, but I sold like bamboo underwear, bras and pants for moms, basically. And I went to this thing called the baby show a number of times, various different baby shows. I went to Scotland, I went to Birmingham, I did multiple ones in London. What always struck me was how much people were prepared to spend on their coming baby. So like thousands of pounds on their buggy or I don't know, all this like fancy equipment for the baby. But they weren't prepared to ease their own discomfort by spending like, I can't remember what it was, maybe like 25 pounds or something on like a soft feeding bra for them where they could like unhook the top or some more comfortable pants for them or underwear. They thought they would just make do. So so I often would notice the mothers even commenting that they were like, I'll make do with what I have. And so there was a, that kind of self-sacrifice and deprivation um, woven already into motherhood before they'd even had the baby. And um, I want to like stand on the top of a really tall building and scream that we need to get away from that because depriving yourself does not help your children. And so I guess my whole reason for being here is to really nourish parents really nourish mothers, nourish fathers, whoever's parenting, so that we, we have the fullness of that experience and we allow the fullness of your experience to be heard and acknowledged and accepted so that you can do that for yourself, basically. That was my little rant about it's really important to focus on the parents. So thinking about this idea of uncertainty and control, parenting is really a, a huge exercise in control. When I talk about widening our window of tolerance, there's so many things actually we have to widen our window of tolerance for and uncertainty is one of those. We have to kind of get more comfortable with the experience of control so that we don't go into a place of either shutdown or raging around control because sometimes getting angry or having a rage is actually a way to avoid our fear or kind of profound terror. Let's talk about kind of some of the origins of discomfort with uncertainty. So some sort of high-level linkages. When we don't get our needs met in childhood, not getting our needs met is all around attachment. So how securely or insecurely attached you are. And the core of attachment is actually co-regulation. So when we are securely attached, we have had enough co-regulation in childhood that we feel safe in the world. We feel that relationships are loving and nourishing and we expect good from our relationships. They don't normally give us signs of danger because we have felt held and seen and safe and supported and acknowledged in our earliest primary love relationships with our parents. And so that means we have this deep sense of safety, like we expect good relationships. If we like dating someone on the internet and they treat us badly, we don't immediately think, oh, I need to double down on my own perfectionism and be nicer or prettier or gooder or better in bed or cook better or something. We, we just think, oh, they're behaving really badly. I'm going to flick them off. Whereas those of us who are insecurely attached do exactly what I've just said, where we think, oh, this is about my deficit. Because we don't necessarily expect relationships to be good, safe, warm, loving places. And so when we are securely attached, we have like a felt sense of safety. 
that people will generally treat us well. We generally expect the best. We look often for, um, for the good in situations. We are generally pretty optimistic. We um, expect the best from ourselves. We expect to be like well-treated by others. We're not kind of always plotting and planning how to keep ourselves safe from other people because we don't actually expect anything bad from them, if that makes sense. So we're not really paranoid. We don't have anxiety, typically. We might have anxiety about specific things, but we don't have this underlying general sense of anxiety. When we have not got our needs met, we tend to be insecurely attached. So I'll do more on attachment, but broadly we'll be insecurely attached. And we will therefore struggle more with regulation, we'll be more prone to dysregulation, have less flexibility in our nervous system. And because anxiety is all about our nervous system state. So it's it's like kind of all about what's going on in our body. And the sense of when you uh, have a, like an ongoing sense of anxiety in your body, there's a sense of dread, worry. There's this ongoing hum in the background. It's like, um, have you seen a, a hummingbird ever? You know how they, maybe you've seen a picture in, in a nature video or something. They have wings and they just keep them kind of fluttering constantly. It's like a whir. And that whir and that hum hums as a, as a baseline in our system, in our, in our nervous system, because we're pretty much often in a state of um, one of our survival states. So um, the sympathetic survival state is where anxiety resides. That can be really difficult in parenting because there is so much uncertainty. It starts right when your baby is born. It starts with how are they going to feed? How am I going to tolerate them not being able to breastfeed or indeed breastfeeding? How am I going to tolerate challenge around breastfeeding? How am I going to tolerate sleep? Sleep is a huge area of uncertainty for many new parents. And I think the reason that the sleep industry and sleep training is so seductive because it promises control. When really there is, there is no one who can promise us control over our children, but the tolerating of the uncertainty around how are they going to sleep? How are we going to help them? How can we be flexible and adaptive to what they need is so painful for so many of us because it is so triggering that we go down a road trying to impose control. And I think some of our greatest learning, some of the greatest ways we need to grow ourselves up is getting comfortable with the huge range of uncertainty that comes in life. And knowing that, that everyone faces uncertainty and that it's much better to try and notice how we've dealt with uncertainty in the past than to try and lock everything down with control. So I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, the lady who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and various other books. She said that control is really just an illusion because we've never actually had control. All we've had is anxiety. And I think that's really true. We try and use control to alleviate our anxiety, but really we need to look at what our anxiety is telling us and to tend to that and then to notice that we have actually coped. I'm going to try and give you a few examples of coping with uncertainty from kind of a different range of ages. So when our girls were babies, they're highly sensitive. And they've always required um, a lot of support around sleep. And I was very determined to be present for them around sleep, even though at points it felt like it might actually finish me off. And sometimes bedtime when they were, we didn't force a routine on them, but we eventually got into some sort of routine and they would have a number of naps during the day and then they would go to bed at night. And bedtime was often, it felt like it had potential to be like a battle of wills. and. 
what we did at some point, well, we actually always had this, but we had a single bed in their room. So there we had two cots and the single bed. And what either my husband or I would do would be to just lie on the bed with them and go to sleep. Well, not go to sleep, but help them go to sleep. That for us, or for me, was a really helpful way of dealing with uncertainty because it involved surrender at some level where we wanted to. So our values meant that we wanted to stay with them to help them because they really, bedtime is a very difficult time for children because it's a massive separation from, from their attachment figure. And for us, this was something that we decided we want to do. If you do something different, please don't take that as a judgment of what you're doing. I'm simply sharing what we did. And the kind of surrender around, I'm not sure how long this is going to take. I'm not sure if it's going to kind of be a messy process or really how it's going to go down. But I'm going to give myself a place to be comfortable. And um, at some point I started to look at my phone because that seemed to make it easier for me. And I'm going to kind of tolerate this uncertainty. I'm going to tolerate the uncertainty of how long it takes, um, how much talking there is, how much asking me 800 questions there is. I mean, actually, they didn't ask that many. Obviously, they couldn't really talk when they were babies, so they couldn't ask me questions. But that really helped me because trying to impose a level of control of you're going to go to sleep now and I'm just going to walk out never, ever, ever worked for us. And trying to impose control often amps up anxiety because then we feel like we're failing in some way. Often it's actually the huge amount of connection that our children need that means we can't impose control. So baby sleep is a, way, is a place, and toddler sleep actually, and even our children still now um, need a lot of support to go to sleep and will often call us in the night and one of them often comes to sleep with us. So there's still a level of uncertainty about how things will go. And for us, that has meant that we just, like I will go and sleep in my daughter's single bed or my husband will and we just deal with the uncertainty by noticing what comes up and being okay with that and that's taken a long time and multiple discussions between my husband and I around what feels important for us in terms of the values in our family and the culture we want to have whenever I try and exert control or determine the outcomes I get kind of a sense of rigidity in my system and it doesn't work my children can all sense that. No one likes to be controlled. And so getting comfortable with the uncertainty of how things are going to be, not playing hundreds of worst case scenarios out in my head has been like pivotal to be actually holding on to my sanity, to be frank. This idea that we need to try and have certainty and control, I think, is leads to kind of so much distress for us. And there's so much uncertainty in parenting on so many levels. There's so much uncertainty about um, how will my children be at school? What will my children eat today? Will they make friends? How will they do at school? How will they do at their swimming lessons? How will they do at everything? How will their mood be? Will they fly into a rage when they come home? Will I fly into a rage when they come home? How will, how will it all be? And that uncertainty can make it feel like we need to control what they eat or we need to manage everything about their schooling. And we can't do that. Well, we can do that, but that's going to send us down a pathway which is not going to end well. So I want to talk about how it makes a lot of sense that we would want to control things, particularly when we're a perfectionist. When we are a perfectionist, we um, seek to control lots and lots of situations because that leads to us feeling safer. And indeed, in childhood, you may have to have 
control situations that you were never supposed to try and control. Often with anxiety and with and dealing with uncertainty, we run through worst case scenarios in our head as a way to defend against that. So we're kind of constantly computing what we would do in these various different worst case scenarios which we've come up with. The problem with that is that it takes us away from the present. I think I've shared on the podcast before that um, my daughters used to vomit a lot, one of them more than the other one. Sometimes I would have to do lunch and dinner twice. Well, sorry, I'd have to start it again because she would vomit halfway through. And I found that experience extremely traumatizing because there was so much vomit and so much. It felt very invasive to me. I felt very defended against vomit and against whenever she vomits now, even I find it really kind of triggering in some ways because of of all the stuff that happened when they were babies. But at some point I had to just really let it go and stop worrying about whether it would happen and computing worse canaries and trying to control it because I got very controlling around her food. So I would um, like urge her not to shove food in her mouth, just put one piece at a time, um, to to chew slowly or to do this gently or, you know, I was kind of haranguing her about her eating and kind of interfering. And that would not help the process because that would make her own, you know, I would give her tons of signs of danger for her own nervous system then and kind of raise the emotional temperature of everything when we were eating because I was kind of constantly focusing on her and I really had to kind of step back from all of that and instead build my trust in myself. So building self-trust around our actual ability to cope. And what I really realized is that I had coped multiple times, like changing lots of sheets in the middle of the night when my husband was traveling for work, like at bedtime if she'd vomit and then I'd have to change everything. I I had managed, I had got through a lot of situations and over like a period of time, I really had to practice not getting into control around eating with her or trying to control how she ate to rather just deal with what came up and, and sit with the uncertainty of, well, this might be a night that I have to start supper again, but I will survive that. And to rather kind of be relational with my daughter in the moment rather than constantly try and control everything. So that building of self-trust is so important. I really want you to notice how much you cope. And I'm not trying to suggest that you be a superhero and abandon yourself by coping with more. It's rather that you notice already how much you cope with. And I want you to think now, as we hear on this episode, about a time when you managed something that came completely out of left field and step through the steps you took. Notice how in the moment your thinking became really clear. It became really um, obvious what the next step needed to be. You were able to take that next step. Maybe that was asking for help. Maybe that was calling someone, whatever that next step was, you were able to do that in the moment. Your computation of any worst case scenarios, I bet, did not make any difference to your ability to cope in the moment. Because I can tell you one thing, the things that we are completely blindsided by in our life are never the things that we plan the worst case scenarios for. So when we spend a lot of time in worst case scenarios, it really robs us of our ability to be in the present moment because we are so in our heads with our anxiety, trying to manage that down. And really, the acknowledgement of how much you can trust yourself, like you've managed, and really doing some repatterning around that. So noticing your body, when you notice what you've coped with, when you play that back. This is 
think something from polyvagal theory where you can really do some savoring, like savor in your body the sensation of replaying you coping in situations. Okay. Another thing that's really important for managing uncertainty is practice is to practice tolerating the distress that we first feel when we realize how uncertain something is. A lot of growing ourselves up is also what is called in uh, dialectical behavior therapy, distress tolerance. So we need to tolerate our own distress and not immediately need to take action because noticing our distress, tolerating it and soothing ourselves is, is a really important skill rather than just flying into some action. Now, some things that can be really helpful are to say to ourselves, oh, this is my anxiety. I notice I'm feeling very anxious. Maybe I'm having a lot of intrusive thoughts about how this is going to go down. Maybe um, I'm in my stress response and I can feel that. And to say that to yourself, so to narrate, okay, I'm having a lot of anxiety about this. I'm in my stress response. I often go, is a first step, I go into, um, sometimes I go into a flight response where I really want to get away or I want to be doing a lot of work so I can get away from the situation. Um, I go into self-blame quite a lot and panic. And so I really can now narrate to myself, okay, this is what's happening. We've had a lot of uncertainty recently about a situation with schooling with our girls. And sitting with the uncertainty has felt like it's really a lot for me. It's felt extremely painful because I just want to know kind of the path forward. And I don't know the path forward clearly. And I've really had to practice noticing how panicky that makes me and how unsafe I can feel, and knowing that that is about the past. So many of you listening may have had a lot of stuff happen in your childhood, which has meant that sitting with uncertainty and not knowing is incredibly painful. And really what this is an opportunity to do is to sue that for yourself, to be with the pain, and to, to dialogue with the pain, to notice what's coming up. To, to say to yourself, what, what is it that you want to tell me? What is it that you need me to know? I've been sitting with childhood terror, actually, around not knowing what's coming up. And being able to be with our fear, knowing that it's coming from something that happened in our childhood, and soothing it in the present moment means that we are much more likely to be able to be present for our children and to come up with solutions to whatever our present-day problems are from a much more kind of connected, resilient, and regulated place. What also really helps with anxiety generally is when we have done exercise. So movement massively helps because that changes our bodily state. So we come out of being in a survival state. Sleep. So sleep will always help you in being more flexible in your response when you're not parenting from an overtired place. But for many of us, you know, tiredness is just part of parenting. And, and I don't want to accept that, but at the moment, there, there's often not anything else we can do. Eating well helps with anxiety. Minimizing alcohol and sugar helps with anxiety. Anything that you can do, yoga, movement, breath work, body work, body massage, any type of exercise, swimming, cycling, nature, time in nature, social connection, all of that therapy, all of that helps with soothing your nervous system, with, with helping 
um, reduced anxiety. And so all of that will help with your ability to cope with uncertainty. Because when you shift your nervous system state, you change your psychological story. So if you do like a big workout or lift a whole bunch of weights or go for a swim or something, your capacity to see possibility and hope and to kind of trust in yourself, to really harness that, that self-trust is greatly increased. So I know I shared a lot of sort of theory stuff in the beginning about why uncertainty is hard for us. So let me know if you want me to draw some of these or pull some of these threads more clearly or more in more detail in another episode. But I hope this has been useful. So really kind of trying to sit with uncertainty and have flexibility in your response to uncertainty is a big part of growing ourselves up and trusting that you can manage while also acknowledging that uncertainty is is really exhausting and it can feel um sometimes just too much. So I really hear you and feel you if you're in that place as well. Okay, take really good care and thanks for being here today. Bye. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself. For more heart-centered, connected, authentic and resilient living.